This is Scott Becker with the Becker Private Equity Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by Matt Wolf. And, and Matt, a couple of interesting data points that I've seen recently. One, obviously, this Discover deal, $35 billion deal, uh, is all of a sudden pushing M&A numbers back to somewhat normal numbers for volume of dollars, even if it's one deal. And, and then the second thing is what we're seeing throughout the universe I would say lower prices on average in, in what I'm seeing in deal auctions than we saw a couple of years ago. And I'd love you to comment on what you're seeing in the deal market. Our multiples are a little, little bit down with the borrowing costs so up. But what are you seeing out there? What, what sort of your observations on what's going on in the deal market? Yeah, thanks, Scott. Um, you know, multiples remain, I guess, compressed, you could say, relative to where they were back when money was free, which I, which I think is to be expected. And you know, we're probably going forward, just not going to see the type of multiple expansion um, that that we saw historically. Right. We can I think we can expect more consistent multiples, particularly in the private markets um, and even even largely in the public markets. Right. We get a lot of, um, you know, we focus a lot on the outliers, the Magnificent Seven or maybe the Magnificent Six. You mentioned the $35 billion Discover deal. And, and you know, there are outliers like that where investors have very specific high expectations that are driving high multiples for very certain companies and very certain assets. But, Matt, when we talk about deal flow and M&A and multiples and stuff like that, you were starting to say something very interesting a moment ago. That, that essentially in the old days, you could buy as a, at an eight, and if interest rates were going down or staying stable, you might have over the course of time, multiples just float up to 10, 12, especially in a seller's market. Now we saw multiples float up to 15, 16. Now we're seeing them back to a 10 to 12. So what, what does that mean for buyers? That they can't buy based on expectation that multiples will just take care of business. They have to do more than that, right? Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and we're seeing so the way that leading sponsors have engaged and recognized this is by really f changing their investment thesis, hiring or expanding their network of operating partners and, and looking at a company and saying, OK, instead of how much EBITDA can we buy at what multiples and then sell the whole thing for in three to five years? You know, the, the thesis, again, from from leading sponsors has become, all right, if we buy this business, can we bring uh, can we bring the gross margin up? Can we fix the supply chain and the sourcing issues to help drive sustained possibility? Can we break into new channels with this business? And if the answers are yes, and they have the, the either the in-house experience and expertise, or they can rely on partners and advisors to help them through that process, then that deal makes sense, right? And and it's really focusing on operational improvements to drive total cash returns is what the way we're seeing leading funds raise money. That's what LPs want to see as they think about their own cash commitments um, because there's there and maybe it's a pendulum that'll swing, right? Um, but there is definitely this this understanding, at least again among leading sponsors, that we're just not we can't bank on this rising tide of increasing multiples. We can't just staple together tuck-ins, buy more EBITDA at you know 8x and then sell the whole thing at 12x that that playbook is uh has been shelved 
at least for the time being. It's what, but, but you are saying, is M&A getting busier again, or is this discovered deal an outlier? Um, I, I actually think it's it's. I mean, the discovered deal is is certainly an outlier in many respects, but I think it is also kind of a bellwether signal that deals are getting done again. And certainly in the middle market, lower middle market, we've continued to see deal volume pick up. I think what makes the deal environment difficult to compare with kind of the prior cycle is, you know, sponsors are are looking at a lot of deals, right? As many, in many cases, as many as they ever have. Um, it's just a lot of those it, deals are not getting past the first glimpse. They're spending longer on diligence and walking away from more deals during that diligence process because, again, the investment thesis has, has fundamentally changed from betting on multiple expansion to making investment in operations. So there's still a lot of deal flow, just fewer of those deals are actually being consummated. Thank you. And what's, what is where are debt is still quite expensive. I, I know it's very hard to to sort of estimate when that's going to come down a little bit. But is there a discussion there at RSM on that? What are you seeing on the interest rate issue? Because my goodness, people thought it was going to come down. Now it seems like it's going to come down slower than expected. Any sense or discussion there? Yeah, no. Something we talk about every day with the our economists within the economics team, and you know we've we've long been on the the side of a June rate cut. Um, the FOMC minutes that were released yesterday kind of put the final nail in that coffin, at least from a market expectation perspective. Uh, there's there's virtually no bets on a rate cut in March. We expect June will be the first one, uh, assuming we get kind of the sort of continued um, disinflation that we've been seeing over the past couple months. And, you know, we're we're sort of on board three to four cuts this calendar year, again, beginning in June. We we expect, at least as we sit now with the data available to us today, that um, in, you know, 2025, we'll likely see that that Fed funds rate, the prime rate back to that three to three and a quarter percent baseline, which was really the historical average, but for the zero interest rate policy leading up to the pandemic. A hundred percent. So, so interesting. What other trends are you watching currently? What, what else is top of mind at RSM currently? Yeah. I, you know, we continue to monitor the, um, the fundraising environment and, you know, we've, we've seen a lot of the big gigantic mega PE shops report earnings um, over the past few weeks uh, and kind of, significant reductions in the cash that they're paying to their their LPs, right? The cash they were able to pay out last year, in some cases, fell by as much as 80% over the prior year. And that that becomes a real issue with especially a lot of the major LPs where, yes, they want you know, uh, uh, to beat the S&P 500. They want to beat the benchmark returns with their alternative asset allocations. But more importantly, you know, they have um, defined sort of liabilities, right? They have to pay out their endowments, their retirements, their pensions. They need that cash to make those payments. And so we've seen a real sea change in terms of how funds go about marketing and, and raising new funds. It's it's less here we can hit our IRRs, beat our benchmarks, and more about 
we have operational expertise, we can distribute cash to you as you need it to meet your commitments. And that's been a really interesting sort of secular change in the private equity fundraising environment that we've been watching very closely. No, that's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, what's, and what's interesting too is pension funds, big endowment funds, have a percentage of their total value of, of what they sort of their, their assets under management that they put into different sectors like PE, like VC. And for a while, the stock market was so deflated a couple of years ago that the percentages got too high of what they had in PE and VC. Now, as the stock market surges again, it, it, it puts them back in a spot of re-looking at their allocations, doesn't it, and where they're at in terms of their uh, value of what's in PE and VC versus their total enumerator denominator. I mean, it, it, it sort of harkens back to if they have so much money and in value that maybe they do start upping their bets again on PE, VC, because it's a percentage of what they expect to spend. Absolutely, and I think as they look at those reallocations, what we're – what we're seeing in, in some of the data, the limited data that's available and what we're hearing in our conversations across the, the private equity industry is that as some of those LPs reinflate their allocations to alternative asset managers, they're looking at different sponsors than they have historically, right? They want the sponsors that can demonstrate the operational excellence. They can demonstrate um, actual real cash on cash returns. And they're they're taking a chance with some of these and, and uh, changing their own playbooks a little bit, shying away from the big flashy high IRR, we beat our benchmark and looking for more of that operational expertise and those cash on cash returns. No, and that's absolutely a fascinating, fascinating um, perspective on it. Cause I see that I'm invested in a handful of private equity funds and venture capital funds you know, and some really high name ones, but I also see some of the mid-market ones really working hard on operations uh, and, that I'm invested in. And it's fascinating to watch to see if they can really develop and be better at it than others and, and make an impact on their portfolios. I, I love watching it. And it's fascinating to watch. Matt, anything else you wanted to share today? Man, I mean, uh, I always love our conversation, Scott. I feel like we could talk about these factors for hours, um, there's a lot to digest there. And it, I would just, I guess, end by saying that, you know, summarize, right? The multiple environment kind of is what it is. Um, the public equity markets are not indicative of the overall middle market multiples, right? They're really skewed to the magnificent six, magnificent seven, depending. Um, and we're just, the, the name of the game going forward is going to be value creation through operational excellence. At least for a serious period of time. It's not just going to be gambling and arbitrage. It's going to be truly trying to run businesses. That's right. Matt, I want to thank you, as always, for joining us on the Becker Private Equity Business Podcast. Matt's one of our most listened to guests, brilliant leader at RSM. Thank you for joining us on the Becker Private Equity Business Podcast. Thank you, Scott.